Alright, good evening church. Hi, welcome. And if you are visiting us tonight, um, special welcome to you. My name is Halgert, if you don't know me. Um, I've had the privilege of being part of our family for almost eight years now. Um, it's been such a blessing to me and to our family. Um, but to, to link back to what we spoke about on last week, we started with a sermon series called Values. And so Jonathan spoke, oh, it was a beautiful sermon. If you missed it, you can go look at it on YouTube, all those places. You guys know the tech, Instagram, TikTok, all that, but it's somewhere there. And so last week he said, what ascribes value? What is the highest value for us? And so we will devote our lives to that which has the highest value. And so in our family, where I grew up, one of the main values was, is sport, sports in general. So you would get my brother and I would go, if it's a rugby season, you would find ourselves outside, we're playing rugby. And then if it's hockey season, we're there, we're playing hockey. Then it's soccer season, we're playing soccer. Then it's cricket season, and then we're setting up new high scores. And like it would go on whatever season we would get into it. But one season that never ended was the table tennis season. And so to understand what sport means in our family, this determines where you sit in the car. It determines when you eat. It determines your bragging rights. You, doesn't matter what, like this determines your position in our house. And so tonight, I brought a replica of our table tennis champion of the house trophy. And so the reason this is a replica is because my brother is here. I don't want to get him jealous of the real thing. So I've got a replica here. But to understand really what this means is if you're the table tennis champion of the house, man, you own everything regarding table tennis. Someone wants to play table tennis, they have to ask your permission to come and play table tennis. You're like, you can come for guidance and tips from, from me. You go to dinner table, you sit there like, oh, yes. And the, you've got the bragging rights about this. You're the king, not of clay, but of the table, whatever you want to call it. So it's like this is gold. It makes you, if, if you ain't the champion, you're really actually nothing. Yeah? If you're not first, you're last. Do you know the movie? Good reference. All right, so tonight we are continuing with our series, and we're asking the question, which value should come first? Which value should come first, not just for us as individuals, but also for us as a church? And so we're looking at Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20 tonight. And so you can turn your Bibles, if you have your Bibles on your phone or in hard copy here, turn with me to Colossians 1. Verse 15 to 20. And so as you are turning there, let me just give you some context, background on this letter to the Colossians by Paul. And so Paul actually never wrote, uh, never actually planted the Colossian church, right? He was ministering in Ephesus. And there, Epaphras heard the gospel as Paul was explaining it. Went back to his hometown, Colossians, shared the good news, and actually a church started to form. How great is that? Just think of that. All right, so here we get Paul writing the letter. 
and Epaphras has actually come to visit him back in Ephesus, uh, in Rome, where he's in captivity. And so he's telling Paul what's happening in, in Colossians. There's some false teaching. There's some weird beliefs that they are starting to, to challenge. They're trying to do some religious acts once again that they've been freed from. And so Paul is writing this, and, and we see in the second part of Colossians, Paul addressing these issues. He's saying this false teaching, that's what you should do. This religious acts, that's what you should do. But before that, he starts off with Colossians 1. And that's where we find the scripture. And so we can read, it says, verse 15, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. May your word come and cut our hearts. Holy Spirit, may you minister to us to hear what you are saying to us individually, but also as a church, Lord. Lord, may my words be your words and honor you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're going to look at what Paul is writing to the Colossian church by three, let's say, headings. It's saying we're going to look at, let me look at Jesus, his position, then his preeminence, and then his people. Now, if you don't know what these preeminence mean, I didn't also have to Google it, so don't worry, we'll get there, just stick with me. And so we're going to start off with his position. When we see verse 15, it says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In one sentence, Paul gives probably one of the briefest gospel messages. Just to hear this again, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Paul is writing to the Colossian church. He says, oh, guys, nice, uh, nice to hear from you again through Epaphras. Just some thanksgiving. Well done, you're doing great. I'm praying for you. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It's almost like a shock. But the beauty of what he's saying here is this. If you remember Genesis 1 verse 27, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And so it's, it's weird that we're seeing here, he's the image of the invisible God. Because humanity was surely made to be the image of God. But what we know about Genesis 3 is that sin enters into the world. And it mars this picture, it tarnishes this picture, this image of God. But then Paul says, Jesus is the image of God. There is no sin that mars this image, that tarnishes this image. He is the image of God. But then he also says, he's the firstborn of all creation. 
Not only does he resemble God, he is God. If he's the firstborn of all creation, surely he must be God. And so the beauty of looking at Jesus as the image of God is we see in his ministry how he acts. He acts in healing. He acts in restoring. He acts in delivering. He acts in loving on sinners. And so when we look at Jesus, we see the beautiful heart of our Father. And so the question for you tonight is, do you believe that Jesus is God? Not just a good teacher, not just a great guy, not just a nice Instagram post that I can post from him. Do you believe that Jesus is God? We're going to go on to his preeminence. If you look at verse 15 up until verse 18, six times Paul refers to this concept. It says, verse 15, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 17, he's before. Verse 18, he's the head, he's the beginning, he's the firstborn preeminent. And so what does preeminence mean? Preeminence means to be extremely distinguished, outstanding, or superior to all. Jesus is superior to all. Jesus is the table tennis champion of the house. He's superior to all. If you think of it, if the champion is not deemed the champion, what chance does second place have to mean anything? If Jesus is not first, then he probably is last. No matter how highly we think of anything or value anything, he deserves to be valued the highest. Now, if I'm the table tennis champion of the house, I've got some bragging rights, right? I can, I can decide who can play at what time I can decide who gets to use my bat. Jesus also has certain rights if he's preeminent, if he's first, if he's the king. What are those rights? He has the right to give or take away whatever he wants. He has the right to say which things are acceptable and which not. He has the right to do whatever he wants. He has the right to interject anytime he wants. Are you okay with Jesus having these rights in your life? Before every one of us were Jesus was. Before every argument, every objection, every theory, every possible other explanation that we can bring, Jesus was. And he was first. So I'm asking the question again, which value should come first for us? If we look at verse 16, verse 17, it says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you see the repetition there? 
I wish the scripture read, Jesus created all the heavenly things for himself and all the earthly things for us to enjoy now in this time and do with it whatever we want to. I'm just a student once. I'm only a young adult once. I'm only living once. I can do with this whatever I want to. But that's not how the scripture reads. It says all things for him. I remember the first time my father-in-law allowed me to drive his car. So he sent me to Silverton to buy some spares at a place that he's already been at before. So he told me the route. He's like, you take this, turn off, go there. And so you'd, you'd guess my, my positioning in the car. It's like double thumbs up. You're like almost sitting up straight. No one touches this car. I'm driving it. I'm taking this route exactly as he prescribed it. Why? Because I know who the owner is of this car. And he has been there before me. And so the same with Jesus. If all things were created for him, then all things belong to him. Then how we respond is as stewards of what he has given us. And so... I've got just a nice chair here tonight. This is also a nice chair. But I want to explain something that the concept of Jesus being first that we sometimes miss. And maybe in church theology, we have made the image a bit different than we should have. I don't know if you've seen that picture where there's like a big circle. And then there's like the picture of a chair on top and then... Either Jesus is Lord or you're Lord. And you're like almost tug of warring between Jesus. Like sometimes you're on, then he's on, then you get a bit of a bigger bum on. And then, I don't know if some of you have seen that picture or heard that concept. That it's like I give Jesus a bit and then I take away. It's like this tug of war with Jesus. You know that concept? Or the other concept is this. It's like sitting with Jesus on a sofa. And it's like, oh, Jesus, I hear what you are saying. Um, yeah, let's just bargain a bit, yeah? So, Lord, come. I'll go to church on Sunday. Hear me out, eh? Then you send me my wife as soon as possible. <laughs> it's, Jesus, um, yes, I, I, Lord, I trust you with my studies. But, but please don't come into my relationship where I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. Lord, no, no, I trust you with my relationship. We'll submit that. But Lord, my finances, that's mine. And so we see the picture of either we tug of warring with God or we bargaining with Him or there's a place where He alone is Lord and we submit and surrender to Him. So the problem with this is we say that Jesus is only Lord if I make him Lord, which is not true. His kingdom stands regardless. Here, the pride of our hearts wants to say, I was not created, but I'm equal to 
or higher than the Creator? The reality is, if Jesus is not first, then he probably is last. So the question here for us is, have we limited what God has authority over in our lives? Or we can ask it in another way, what may God not change in your life? Can He change your financial situation? Can He change your relationship? Can He change your future? Can He change your studies, your workplace? Can He change your family structure? Friends, if God is first, He's the owner, He can do what He wants to. So, uh, start of this year, I started working at a place where we make shoes. And it's been an interesting process to learn just how they make shoes. I don't know if you guys know, but I'm going to give you a quick rundown if you want to. So, for a shoe, we use something that they call the baglioli board. So, this is like a hard board. You see, it's like the thin white part in between the shoe. And so, on this baglioli board, we put a last with the leather around and then we would form the shoe on this. We would stitch the leather onto this buglioli board. And then we would also put the sole on the bottom of the shoe. And so if there's no buglioli board in this shoe, it's a reject. It's a failure. We throw that thing out. It means nothing to us. And we see in the scripture, verse 17, 17 it says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Without Christ as the center, our lives, in view of eternity, means nothing. Without Christ in the center of our relationships, our finances, our studies, our work, if He's not the center, we can't hold it together. It means nothing. So where are you trying to hold things together by yourself? Yeah, it's going busy. I'm just trying to hold on, Do you know that language? Yeah, I'm just trying to hold on. And thirdly, we get to his people. Verse 18 to 20. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. I'm going to use this sofa because it's nice. You might be sitting here tonight and saying, oh, that's great, man. Um, I hear you. Yes, I, I really hear you. I understand that God is first. I understand you want to make him Lord of your life in every area of your life. But you know what? I'm good. I'm actually enjoying my life, and, and it's actually going well for me. Um, and you know what? That thing that you want to do, that's a bit, it's an advanced spiritual act. I don't think I'm there. Um, You're expecting me to give everything to God, to submit everything to Him. Surely God can't ask that of me. I've got free will. Right? Friends, the reality that we all face is that Jesus is Lord whether we choose to make him or not. His kingdom stands regardless. 
there is a day in the future waiting all of us. Either Jesus welcomes you in or he doesn't. There isn't a setup in this, like this. There's a heaven, then there's a place for cool people who likes to chill with Jesus, and then there's eternal separation with him. No. We either acknowledge the fact that he is the Lord now and for eternity or not. We either get to spend now and eternity with him or we don't. Lordship is not an advanced spiritual act. It is a foundational reverent response. It's a response to say, you are first, not me. You are the creator, not me. You sustain me. You love me. You thought of me. Without you, I would not have been. So if we don't have Jesus, we really don't have anything. We see in 1 Peter 3 verse 15, Peter writes, it says, But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. If you are thinking you are enjoying life without Jesus being the one that calls the shots, man, you must experience life when he does. Scripture teaches us that having Jesus as Lord is the reason for our hope. And so, practically, when Jesus is not Lord, our lives have no purpose because I live for myself. Our relationships won't stand eternally because all relationships will end here. Our religious responses mean nothing because all acts are without faith. We have no hope of a future because we will have eternal separation from God. But... What if Jesus is Lord? Our lives have purpose because I live for the King. Our relationships will stand eternally because I get to take others with me to heaven. Our religious responses mean something because our faith pleases God. And we have the hope of a future, eternity with God. So I'm asking the question again. Which values should come first? Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. He is God reconciling all things to himself by taking the first step. And so, just hands, anyone that is studying law or works in law here, you could maybe put it higher. You can see... Okay, we, we'll, we'll take a moment just to pray for you as well. <laughs> no, but maybe, maybe you'll understand this better, but I believe this will help us understand just Jesus' attitude towards us. So if we're thinking of a court setting, let's use some props here. Let's say this is the accuser's bench, and so I will be the accused. Let's say that is the judge's seat, so... God the Father being the judge. Let's say the devil is the accuser. And let's say I've got the Holy Spirit as an advocate with me. All right? 
And so, being the accused, the devil comes and accuses me before the Father. I have to put this down. Listen, sir, here's your son who has pride in his heart regarding being the table tennis champion of the house. Guilty. <laughs> Guilty. And so the verdict would be guilty. And so the punishment, let's make, let's make it easy, 100 million rand. 100 million rand punishment for this pride of being the table tennis champion of the house. And so there's no other way for me but to pay the penalty, but I don't have 100 million rand. But here comes someone from the side saying, Hey, Alhart, I heard you had a hundred million rands worth of penalty. Can I pay that for you? So my question is, what would my response be? Jeez, thanks, man. I owe you one. <laughs> How would you respond to that? He'd be like, Man, can I wash your car? Man, I'll do anything for you. If you, if you call me at night, I'll be there. You... Whatever, I'll do whatever I can because I owe you all of this. Friends, but what do we know? The wages of sin is death. The verdict for me, for us, is we deserve death for our sins. Oh, yes, okay. We deserve death. Here comes someone. I have paid that penalty for you on your behalf. We can't go, hey, thanks, we owe you one. It's not how we can respond. Because if you understand that his position is that he is God, we understand that he is preeminent, and we understand that he cares for his people, our response towards him cannot ever be then God, I owe you my life. Oh Lord, you served people and you say, I must serve them. I'll go and serve them. Oh Lord, you said, go and make disciples of all nations. Lord, I'll go and make disciples of all nations. I said, wow, I want you to be faithful with your finances. Lord, I'll be faithful with my finances. I want you to spend time in prayer and word with me. Lord, that's what I'll do. If we realize that without Him, we would have been nothing, it's easy to understand that He is our everything. So which value should come first? Friends, there is no value if Lordship is not our first value. Jesus being the Lord of our lives is the only value we can hold first. In light of that, everything makes sense. Without that, no other value would make sense. Why would we go and evangelize if Jesus is not Lord? Why would we make disciples if Jesus is not Lord? Why would we come together as a family if Jesus is not Lord? Why would, why would we believe in leadership if Jesus is not Lord? It doesn't make sense. So what does it look like if, if I have Lordship as the first value of my life? 
means that out of thankfulness, everything that I do is towards him because he is good. It's not to gain his favor. It's not to try and work something out with him. It is to say, thank you, Lord, because you are God, because you are first, because you are reconciling us back to the Father. I can do whatever you ask of me. I can surrender every part of my life to you. So what does a church look like that has lordship as its first value? The church's mission and vision will focus on the honor of Jesus, not on the next big thing. The church operates from the grace of the gospel, not from works. The church spends its time, talents, and treasure on what is most valuable to his kingdom. The church would be a beacon of hope to a lost world. The church will have impact in its community. We will see the kingdom of God grow in our area. Friends, I don't know about you, but I want to be part of such a church. But we can't say the church must be that, must have lordship as a value, if that is not something that each one of us individually has as a value. Jesus can't be my Lord, but not yours. Can't be your Lord, but not mine. So how are you responding to what Jesus has done for you? Is it a treasure to you that you have Jesus? I can ask it the other way around. What have you lost if you lose Jesus today? Have you surrendered every part of your life to him? Every part. Jesus ain't first, then he probably is last. And so friends, this can cut our hearts. But if we don't respond adequately, this might mean nothing to us. So how, how do we respond to Jesus being Lord? We surrender, firstly, our lives by salvation remember that words that people used to say I have given my heart to God that's what we do not just our hearts our whole lives we surrender to him because we know he can do better than we can so friends as a call tonight if you have not responded to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and you know that with him you'll be so much better off because you'd be redeemed you would have hope for a future I want to pray with you tonight. I want to give you the opportunity to say, Lord, I acknowledge you are king. I'm sorry that I have not made you Lord over my life. But I can't do this without you. I know I have nothing actually apart from you. If there's any one of you who would like to pray that prayer with me tonight, I'll ask you to just raise your hand where you are. I see those hands. Can I ask that we just all close our eyes and if you if you just raised your hand, 
just um, pray this prayer after me. Oh, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that you are the King. I acknowledge that without you, I have nothing. That without you, I am nothing. Jesus, I choose to surrender my life under your Lordship. Forgive me for my sins. And thank you that I have internal hope with you. raise their hand wouldn't you come and meet them in this moment to just touch them with your love Lord that they would experience who you are and the true power of your gospel oh you are worthy Lord and then for a second group of people that I want to praise maybe you that guy that's sitting on the couch with Jesus bargaining or you're on the chair, tug and warring with God who gets a piece of lordship in your life. And tonight, you just want to say, you're done with that. No more me or God, me and God, it is Him. And I ask that you also raise your hand. We pray. You can also pray after me. Lord Jesus, the king there is no me and you there is no me or you for the throne you are the rightful owner the rightful owner of everything and that includes me Jesus forgive me for placing other things higher than you thinking that I can compete with you on what your plans are. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor for tonight. Thank you for your word that cuts our hearts, Lord, but we will not have it stop here. Lord, I pray that as we wake up tomorrow, we would be reminded that you are our king that we live for. I pray that you would remind us in situations where we want to take up the reins for ourselves, Lord. That we would be willing to let go because we trust you as the preeminent king of our lives. And I say, Lord, we just worship you.